You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I am a holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. On today's show, we're talking about the connection between sleeping problems and aging. The importance of good quality sleep can't be overstated. Sleep is essential for our body to adequately perform the myriad of functions it takes to keep us healthy. Sleep impacts our physical and mental functioning, our ability to fight disease, so, so many important things. It impacts our immune system, our metabolism, and the ability to fight chronic disease. To bring us to a greater understanding of all of this, our guest today is Dr. Catherine Darley. Dr. Darley is a naturopathic doctor, and she is a leader in natural sleep medicine. She combines her knowledge of sleep disorders with her training as a naturopathic physician to bridge these fields. She founded the Institute of Naturopathic Sleep Medicine in Seattle, which is dedicated to patient care, public education about sleep health, and consultation with high-risk populations, such as first responders. Dr. Darley regularly writes articles and trains healthcare providers in the treatment of sleep disorders. You can find her on Instagram at Skilled Sleeper. We talk about a lot of things, uh, but the focus here is about how aging impacts sleep and how sleep impacts aging. Uh, we talk. This connection is um, it's well researched and it's an important one for us to come to an understanding about because as we age, we need to make adjustments in our sleeping patterns. We talk about how early in life we can see this connection between sleep problems and aging. Talk about how prevalent sleep disorders are across all spectrums. Just a whole lot of really relevant, excellent conversation. Stay tuned. We will be back in just a few minutes to talk with Dr. Catherine Darley. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today's episode has been recorded. No opportunity for calling in. We would love for you to follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we are at The Health Hub RMC on those locations. Dr. Darley, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time for us. Thank you for having me. Excited to talk sleep and aging. Sleep and aging. Well, I mean, sleep is everywhere. I mean, it it is getting, it's, you know, it's not a 15-minute fame thing. I think people are just finally getting the understanding of why sleep is so important. Um, 
you know, how did you get into this space? You know, I have been uh, just intrinsically interested in sleep since my college years. So I've spent my entire career in sleep. I worked as a research assistant technologist in a research lab looking at kids' sleep and performance. Then I worked as a tech doing the overnight sleep studies in a clinical setting, looking mostly at obstructive sleep apnea. And then I decided to take a naturopathic view on sleep medicine and went to naturopathic medical school. And since then, I've uh, focused on both treating sleep disorders, but also talking with people about the importance of sleep. Because I think, you know, it's something we all need to have a good sleep every night to power our days. And it's hard in our modern environment to get the sleep we need. Well, I think, you know, to power our days is, I think, what we probably all think, right? You need to rest so that you have energy. But what are other aspects of health that are impacted by poor sleep habit? Well, I think we could really look at pretty much every organ system and see that there's an impact on of sleep on that organ system. For instance, if you have high blood pressure, it's going to be worse if you have sleep disordered breathing, such as sleep apnea. If you have insomnia, that makes high blood pressure worse. If you're simply not getting enough hours of sleep, what we call chronic partial sleep deprivation. That means you're missing, you know, an hour or two or or maybe three hours of sleep each night. That is also going to worsen hypertension. So, you know, and I could go through all of our organ systems, arthritis, Mm -hmm. uh, skin conditions, all of those, you know, many, many conditions, weight uh, issues are all going to be impacted by the quality and quantity of our sleep. Is it an inflammation thing that we're talking about here? Yes, poor sleep definitely contributes to inflammation. And there's other, you know, there's many other changes in our hormone profiles that are going to be caused by sleep problems. And, um, you know, the mechanisms are many, actually. In the hierarchy of health pillars, To me, sleep has been upping itself, upping itself, upping itself over the years. Where do you rank sleep? And I'm talking sleep, nutrition, exercise, hydration. Where do you rank sleep in this hierarchy of health? I think about the foundation of our health as a three-legged stool, exercise, diet, and sleep. And for decades, I think, Uh, exercise and diet got most of the press and most Mm -hmm. of the attention, but nobody wants to sit on a two-legged stool, right? That is not a solid foundation. Um, So if we think about just those three main pillars, sleep is the third. And then I think about it like a six-sided star when you start talking about hydration, joy, relationships, and you have all these other kind of secondary uh, features of our health foundation. I, I totally agree with that. Um, now, a couple of questions here before we really get into our, our topic at hand here, which is sleep and aging. You know, I, I know people who sleep for short periods of time and wake up, you know, ready to spring into action. 
Uh, I am not a morning person. I know circadian rhythm and all this stuff plays in it, but is feeling refreshed the key or the only, or is it the indicator of good sleep hygiene? Well, that is an interesting question, Kathy, because we know that there is individual variability in how much sleep a person needs. Adults are typically thought to fall somewhere between needing seven to nine hours a night. The tail ends of the bell curve are probably six hours to 10 hours, but really it's probably only two to three percent of adults truly do well with only six hours of sleep. But yet when I talk to groups of um, citizens, it's much more than than two or three percent who are saying that they sleep only six hours. What's interesting is that we lose the perception of how impaired we are. And that is Mm -hmm. documented in the research that once you have gone through three nights of being uh, partially sleep deprived, getting maybe six hours when you really need eight, you somehow um, your perception of your baseline performance adjusts and you say, oh, I must have gotten used to it. But the objective data on your performance continues to deteriorate. Uh, I think of it kind of like alcohol, right? If, you know, after a few drinks, you might think, oh, I'm impaired, I better not drive. But if you keep drinking and you get overly intoxicated, then you might be feeling, you know, totally fine. And, oh, I'm, calm. I'm, I'm, you know, healthy to drive. I'm able to drive well. And we kind of lose that sensitivity. I think it also happens with sleep. Mm-hmm. It's it's that that adage that I hear more and more. Just because it happens often doesn't mean it's it should. It often doesn't mean normal. Um, now, I think we need to talk about what goes on during sleep so that we can really frame the importance of sleep. So when we sleep, it's not just rest, is it? There's lots of other things going on. Right. And to kind of set the stage for our conversation about aging, one of the things that's really important and very interesting, this was a finding that came out in 2015, is that we actually have a lymph system in our brain called the glymphatic system or the neuroglymphatic system. It's very similar to the lymph system that we have in our body, Kathy. People may be familiar with, you know, the lymph nodes getting sore during um, when you have a cold or something because they're processing all of those toxins of the cold. The lymph system in the brain actually processes and clears metabolic waste product. What's the tie-in with sleep is that those lymph channels open up to almost twice the size during sleep as they are during the day. So think about sleep as a time to clean your brain. And uh, one of the compounds that's cleaned from the brain during sleep is what's called beta amyloid proteins. And these proteins actually can build up in the brain and make these what are called plaques. They're kind of an accumulation of the beta amyloid proteins. And that is part of the mechanism of Alzheimer's disease. And we've known for years that there's this connection between poor sleep and increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. So this 
discovery of the the lymphatic system really helps us understand the mechanism that poor sleep is going to uh, prevent the clearing of these metabolic waste products and those accumulate cause uh, contributing to Alzheimer's disease. Mm. How many, you know, not how many, what percentage of the population or how prevalent are sleep disorders? And does, and, and are we talking just in the adult, just in the aging or are we, are we even going back to early age? Is it a, is it a thing you're seeing? Yeah, so it's about one in three people who have either a sleep disorder or a insufficient sleep, um, which actually insufficient sleep can be diagnosed as a sleep disorder, uh, simply not getting enough hours. And I love that you asked about children because part of my work has been advocating for particularly teen sleep. Uh, Teens are the most sleep deprived age group actually with uh, high school seniors, only about 10% of them getting the sleep that they need. And it has a big impact on their academics, their social uh, interactions, their health, driving safety, et cetera. so we do want to think also about um, about children's sleep. And what's interesting, if you look at the sleep and aging literature, even infants whose mothers ha- had sleep problems during pregnancy, you will see advanced aging in those infants mm-hmm. versus infants whose mothers had no sleep problems. That's really, is that a genetic thing? Are you talking no, it's the presence of the um, the sleep problem, specifically sleep disordered breathing. Um, yeah. So we talked about, you know, the, the glymphatic system. There's mm-hmm. other mechanisms by which um, poor sleep contributes to aging. When we're talking about, you know, let's move into sleep and aging. Are we talking about a shift in the terrain of the body as we age, or is it a a cumulative effect of bad habit, or is it somewhere, is there a sweet spot in the middle? Yeah, so, um, you know, it is a very active area of research. You know, two hypotheses that are being considered and evaluated are, You know, on the one hand, is sleep deterioration just part of aging that Mm -hmm. we cannot cannot control and is really just um, part of the aging process? Or is the sleep problems that we see in people, uh, in elders, part of disease and something that we want to treat? Uh, The current idea or some newest research suggests that actually it is uh, due to impaired ability to generate sleep and that it is something that we want to address. Um, You know, it's not simply that elders need less sleep, uh, which Mm -hmm. is the other idea that's being considered. Um, 
Yeah, does um, that answer your question? It it does. Um, but can habitual bad sleep, you know, just bad habits of sleep also contribute to, you know, is it a cumulative effect as a, a we age? You talked about teen and how they don't get enough sleep. And if that continues on and then all of a sudden you hit the age of 50 and, you know, it's not as easy to lean against a wall and fall asleep. Is that bad habit or is that aging? I think that it's both. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, our lifestyle habits uh, definitely contribute to our ability to sleep well. And, you know, I don't particularly like to, you know, frame it as bad habits. I think it's one of those areas that we just simply don't learn enough about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't learn about sleep necessarily in our health classes in high school. Our physicians aren't necessarily including sleep as part of the annual visits. You know, it's not something that most people have had a lot of good information about. And, um, you know, that's hard. That puts people in a hard situation when they don't necessarily have the information to uh, choose sleep healthy lifestyle. So as we age, um, you know, as, as with many other aspects of health, we have to adapt, you know, uh, for instance, women as estrogen levels drop through their, you know, as we hit menopause, uh, fat can accumulate, we might need to add more protein for more lean muscle mass. Is it an adaptation for sleep as well? Are there things going on behind the scenes that can disrupt sleep that we should be made aware of and so forth take an adapt an adaptive stance against? Yeah, so there's a lot of um, impact of general health problems onto, uh, onto sleep. So for instance, um, as people age, they tend to uh, get more overweight, right? And obesity itself is going to increase the prevalence and the likelihood of having obstructive sleep apnea. And so then you have uh, obstructive sleep apnea actually changes our uh, glucose metabolism, changes our appetite hormones, and you can get into this negative feedback cycle where obesity contributing to obstructive sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea contributing to obesity. Uh, Medications, medications can interfere with sleep. And we know that as people age, they tend to add in more and more medications. So that's also um, a problem. You know, the uh, neurodegeneration that happens as we age, you know, the aging of our brain is going to weaken some of those uh, sleep generating neuro pathways. So there's a lot of um, interplay and just interaction and these negative feedback loops that, uh, get started and contribute to poor sleep as we get older. Do you delve into the mental uh, health aspect of sleep? Oh, totally. One of the things that I um, really like to uplift and bring to people's awareness is the connection between sleep 
uh, and loneliness or poor sleep and loneliness, I should say, that when people are lonely, they don't sleep as well. And I think one of the things that's really come out of, excuse me, the pandemic is increased discussion and awareness of kind of a sub epidemic of loneliness. And that's uh, reported in literature from around the world. Uh, Basically, the idea here is that we as human beings, uh, being social creatures, we need to feel socially supported in in order to be able to fully uh, let down our guard, reduce our vigilance, and relax into sleep. Mm. Now, a question I have to ask, and we'll, we'll end the first half on this. Is there a difference between the sleep capabilities of men and women? Just from an observational standpoint, I just it just seems that women, as we age, have a harder time getting a good night's sleep. You know, I find, you know, my hearing is like magnified at night and I just hear more. And is, is there literally, or is it just, you know, playing in my, in my film, um, is there a difference between men and women as they age in their sleep? That is a great question. And it comes up often. I wish there was a simple yes or no answer. (laughs) What's interesting, Kathy, is that when you look at uh, men's and women's sleep objectively, women actually have some signs of sleeping better than men Mm. do. But that subjective difference in women having more sleep complaints, that also is true. And we wonder, and it is something that's discussed in sleep science, and uh, I don't think that there's been a conclusive answer, but why is that difference between objective um, measurements and subjective experience? Part of it may be differences in the brain between men and women, that women are more sensitive to the sleep disturbances that they are having. It's still unknown. Or we go to bed with more in our mind. I find that that can be something too. Um, it's it it's so it's such um, layers, isn't it? Layers and yes. layers and layers. And there's not one prescription for good sleep. We're going to take a quick break here, everybody. We'll be back in just a few minutes to continue this conversation with Doctor Darley. You are listening to the Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back. We are having a great conversation about sleep with Dr. Darley. Dr. Darley, um, one of the things that in the health space is also becoming more talked about is our circadian rhythm. And within that, the fluctuations, I mean, a lot of hormones, we're we're certainly not getting into the science of the whole circadian rhythm. But within that context, we can talk about melatonin and cortisol spikes. Um, How does aging affect circadian rhythm? Or is it a vice versa thing? Does circadian rhythm affect our aging? And, you know, again, is it we're looking, have to look at it from all angles? Yeah, so... um 
It is a bi-directional relationship between circadian rhythms changing as we age and aging um, being more uh, rapid among people who have some certain chronotypes. A chronotype is whether you're a morning person, a night person, or neither. And um, so let's kind of back up a little bit into the mechanisms. I think what is really important for people to know that you may not have heard before is that our circadian rhythm is really set intrinsically in our physiology. I think about it as, um, you know, as intrinsic as our eye color. Nobody chooses their eye color. There's nothing you can do to change your eye color. It just is what you're given, right? And think about circadian rhythms as immutable as that, that um, our circadian rhythm is set deep in the brain. It is also set in our cells. Every cell has clock genes, which makes that a cell do more or less of its activity at different times of day. Uh, so it's really very hardwired into us. That said, one thing that we know is people who have, who are extreme night owls think they're not falling asleep until sometime between one and six in the morning. They have more advanced aging than people who are strongly morning people. Uh, so an, another mechanism of aging that we see related to sleep is uh, this area on our DNA called telomeres. If you think about your coils of DNA, on the very ends are these little sections called telomeres. And they, are, they do not, um, they're not copied as part of our DNA. They're not um they're just really protecting the DNA, like the, that metal end of your zipper protects the zipper, right? And as we age, those telomeres get shorter until we're at advanced age and the DNA can start fraying because it doesn't have these protective ends of the telomeres. And what we know is that people who are these advanced, um, you know, extreme evening types have these shorter telomeres. And so their DNA is going to uh, start fraying at an earlier age, basically. So I think you've answered the question that the timing of sleep is crucial, not just the hours, but the hours of the day and evening that you're sleeping are crucial. Can we reset the circadian rhythm if it's off? The way to keep your circadian rhythm strong and more oriented towards the morning is to entrain it with light. So uh, what's really interesting is that we have special cells in our eyes that receive light cues from the environment, you know, from the day, night cycle, the sun cycle, and um, when we get this bright light, particularly in the morning, it sends a cue to uh, an area of the brain that uh, suppresses our melatonin release. So you've all heard about melatonin. When I, whenever I'm talking about melatonin, I like us to be really clear between our endogenous melatonin pattern and supplements. So right now I'm talking about our natural endogenous melatonin release. And 
when we get this bright light cue from the sun through our eyes to the brain, it suppresses our melatonin. And then as the light shifts in the evening and uh, it becomes more yellowish, dimmer, you know, think about sunset and then candlelight or firelight. Those are very different lights than bright morning sunshine, right? Um, though in those dim light conditions that are more yellowish, pinkish light, our melatonin can start to rise. Uh, and that is going to help us feel drowsy. Melatonin also goes throughout the body. That nocturnal pulse of melatonin goes throughout the body and signals to the body, it is nighttime. It is time to switch into resting physiology. Um, and one of the signs of aging or one of the things that happens in, in aging is that our melatonin uh, doesn't peak as much. We just don't release as much melatonin from the pineal gland. And um, that can uh, shift people's sleep experience. So they're not as drowsy. Their melatonin isn't as high during the night. So they may uh, wake up more, uh, more often. When we're talking about circadian rhythm and you're talking entrainment with light, uh, that in and of itself seems to be an issue in society today. We're in a darkness crisis, are we not? Yes. One um, phrase that I coined a couple months ago or last year was the idea of darkness deficiency. It's about 80% of human beings who have uh, artificial light at night and that can suppress our melatonin. I think, you know, Kathy, most people at this point have heard about avoiding blue light at night. But mm -hmm. I think that um, what's missing from the conversation or the understanding is really knowing how very, very sensitive our system is. So one tip that I like to give people, if you hold your hand out at arm's distance, if you could see your fingers wiggling, that is enough light to suppress your melatonin somewhat. So how many people have a bedroom where mm -hmm. you could see your fingers wiggling in the night, mm -hmm. right? Probably most of us. That's too much. You really want your bedroom to have true darkness. That's interesting because, uh, you know, no matter how hard some people try to get into darkness, there's sources of light everywhere, things that you're not even thinking about. So let's flip the switch here. Um, we talked about how our sleep is negatively impacted or can be negatively impacted as we age. How can people use sleep to prevent aging? That, that's a great question. And so I hope uh, we'll have time to talk about this. And listeners, you might want to get out your uh, system to take some notes because I want to uh, get into this sleep skills is, is what I Excellent. think about them. Um, one, you really want to get as much light during the day as you can and as much darkness at night. 
try to connect with the natural light dark cycle. You know, when the sun is up, you're getting outside for regular sun breaks during the day, not just staying in your office or home that typically are are quite dim compared to outdoor light. And um, and then at night, make your bedroom just as dark as possible. Uh, there's some research looking at people sleep camping, even just a weekend, two nights of camping in a natural environment without any electric light, people sleep much better. And so you want to replicate that in your home environment as best you can. Um, and then, yes, you want to get enough hours of sleep and think you know, figure out where you are on that bell curve for adults somewhere between seven and nine hours. I know for myself, I really am like a eight hour, 20, uh, 15 minute sleeper. And that is how much time I schedule uh, in my lifestyle mm -hmm. so that I've got all of the benefits of good sleep to fuel my days. And I think sometimes people trade um, trade in getting adequate sleep to have a longer day. But when you do that, you're, you're um, accelerating your aging. You're going to have um, less, um, less smooth relationships because poor sleep does change our emotional intelligence. You're going to have higher risk of high blood pressure and obesity and Alzheimer's disease and all of those chronic diseases that we want to avoid. You know, if you're choosing to trade in sleep for more awake hours, it may not serve you in the long run. Okay. So you mentioned you schedule sleep, your sleep time. Uh, we kind of skirted around it earlier, but are there optimal scientifically researched hours of sleep? Yeah, so the best thing to do is sleep at a time for your body clock. Getting that morning light will actually shift your body clock earlier. So that's why I really emphasize that. Um, and then, you know, if you are more of a night owl or evening person, if you can design your uh, lifestyle to honor that and sleep at the times that are best for you, one of the challenges that people who are strongly night owls have, and this includes teenagers, is that they have to get up before they're really physiologically ready to wake mm -hmm. up, yeah. uh, which can make it hard to wake up. And also, you know, people are well-intentioned. They think, okay, I have to get up at seven for school or work, which means I better be in bed at 11. But if they're not sleepy, they may get mm -hmm. into bed at 11 and it could take a long time to fall asleep, which is, you know, such a frustrating experience. I think we've all had some sleepless nights for one reason or another. And think about if you're having that experience night after night where you're getting into bed before you're sleepy because your schedule requires it, mm -hmm. uh, that can be um, part of the problem for people too. Uh, before we get into your great program that you're going to be offering, um, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on supplementing with melatonin. Yeah, so because 
of the role that melatonin has throughout our body. It's a very strong antioxidant. Uh, and oxidation is part of aging. It's also a very strong anti-inflammatory. For those reasons, along with the fact that our endogenous melatonin release does decline as we age, I like to suggest that people supplement a low dose melatonin, like uh, 0.3 milligrams of melatonin, not these high doses. Mm -hmm. And um, I suggest people go with a plant-based melatonin. Uh, Many of the melatonins that you get off the shelf are created in a uh, factory. Uh, synthetically, and they can potentially have contaminants. So the one that I recommend is Herbitonin. It's a plant-based melatonin. And I think that is a good idea, actually, to take a low-dose melatonin um, just on a long-term basis for all of those benefits. As we, as we're as we age, not as children, not as teenagers, correct? No, no. Because the question I'm I'm asked um, often when I'm suggesting melatonin is, well, if I take this, will my body stop producing this? Right. And because melatonin is not regulated with a feedback loop, it's not like your melatonin gets to a certain level and then it turns off. That's not something that people need to be concerned about, particularly in particularly when we're talking about taking what are physiological doses uh, in line with our natural levels. Okay. So at what age would you say start? I think 50. 50. Okay. And you can take this safely on a nightly basis. You take it about an hour before you go to sleep. Yeah. For melatonin in that uh, style, probably half an hour before bed. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Now you have a new online program um, coming to market. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So it's at skilledsleeper.com and there's seven units and it really helps people rebuild their sleep. And I do think about sleep at a you know, not sleep hygiene, but sleep skills. So it's knowledge and practice uh, that you need to know exactly what to do. And having little information about the why helps Mm -hmm. us stay motivated, helps us stick with the plan. And uh, I'm excited to offer that because, you know, people aren't getting the information elsewhere and sleep is universal. You know, it is foundational and it really does make the difference between a quality life and a not so great life. And I think it's important that people understand that by changing habits, they can impact uh, how well they sleep. I don't know if that is often stated enough. Right. It is, you know, it is something that we can have a huge impact on with our lifestyle choices. I think about, I use the phrase sleep healthy lifestyle that. There's many different components. Like I'm going to talk in the course about what is the best time to exercise for your sleep? What is the best time for your meals and uh, dietary habits to support sleep? And so we'll get into all of those lifestyle factors that really do make a difference. And 
One of the things also that uh, has really struck me in talking with folks is how many people have a bedroom environment that disrupts their sleep. So we have a checklist of going through, you know, these are all of the features of a sleep healthy bedroom and how can we put those in place? And when does your program come to market? It's coming out in the middle of June. Oh, wonderful. June, 2023. Um, Are you still seeing uh, clients and patients? At this time, I'm not. I have a wait list. Okay. And so if people wanted to find out more about you, um, do you have a website, social media that people can lock into to find out, uh, to get more information? Yeah. So my courses are on skilledsleeper.com. And then I'm really active on Instagram and you can follow, find me there at skilledsleeper on Instagram. And I do, you know, daily discussion of sleep news and findings, sleep routines and skills uh, to really uplift and empower people to get the sleep they need. Wonderful. Well, I wanted to thank you so very much for joining us. Such an important topic that I think uh, merits uh, a spotlight on it. It is certainly a pillar of good health. And I think the more that you can get the word out, the more that shows like this can get the word out, the more um, the more people becoming, you know, what a contributor to their own sleeping pattern. So thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Sleep well, everybody. Uh, Very good. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.